0: The lesson today and what we're going to talk about. There's plenty of handouts so you can grab one. It's front and back. It'll give you a chance if you want to take some notes on uh, some things that we'll talk about today. So we are in a series at this track. We're here in the sanctuary. We're on a series of talking about apostolic doctrine and we have covered a plethora of topics and things that pertain to apostolic doctrine. We are people that teach and preach the doctrine of the apostles. Um, We believe in the values and the teachings that they taught. They learned those from Jesus Christ himself, and then we have it in scripture. We are not a people that are given over to religious tradition or what was passed down even through the human church or the man-made church. Um, but we do our best to align with Scripture. And we do our best to teach things that line up with the Bible. What I'm going to teach this morning, I want to be very clear about this. And I don't know everybody in the room, and I don't know everybody's background in the room or how you see things or where, what you've been a part of. And I know that this lesson is going to be uh, recorded so that we can upload it later. So I'll say these things now uh, so that they're clear. We are not a church that teaches the a doctrine or idea of the United Pentecostal Church. Um, the United Pentecostal Church is not a, uh, a group that I, I would say it this way: they're not a group that controls what happens here at 107 Commercial Street. That's not how it works. The United Pentecostal Church is a fellowship of ministers, and the ministers ascribe to a doctrine, they ascribe to uh, beliefs, but there's no control over what happens here. There's no dictating of things that go on. As ministers, we do our best to be led by the spirit and to teach the word of God at certain times. So I wanna be very clear about that. So what I'm gonna teach today is not an ideology of the United Pentecostal Church, although it is a teaching thing that they, that, that is taught widely across. But it is something that we teach as the Bible teaches us. We are people of the word of God and we're people of the spirit. So I think it's very important that that distinction is made at the beginning. Um, I'm going to talk to you about our holiness and about what we do uh, as far as the word of God lines up with our holiness. Now, let me give some background. In week number one, Pastor Gaddy stood up here and taught at 930 on the oneness of God. We are people that believe that our God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And we are different than a lot of other churches in the fact, and a lot of other denominations and beliefs in the fact that they maybe teach a triune or a trinity, but we believe in the oneness of God. We believe that that Jesus is God. And he did a great job expounding that. We're going to upload that lesson later. And then we talked about repentance and faith and turning to God and what that looks like and our need for God. And then the next week was about baptisms and our coming into covenant with God and water and spirit baptism. And then when that lesson was over with, uh, we taught on inner holiness. Now, this is very important, and I'll have something to say about this in a second, but this is very important. Holiness begins on the inside. God's spirit comes and dwells inside of you. And holiness starts on the inside. And I'll talk more about that later. But it's very important. There have been a lot of churches and there have been a lot of ministers and people that will teach just strictly the outward things. A lot of the stuff that I'll talk about today, they'll emphasize that. And listen, that is important. But the foundation of holiness starts on the inside. And it begins on the inner man and Pastor Gaddy taught about that the last time that there were tracks here at 930 in the sanctuary. And so today I'm going to talk about outward holiness. Now this is obviously a subject that can be very taboo to people and it can be a subject of great uh, contention. People have their own ideas and people have things that they were taught as a child. But here's my hope for you today. My hope is that you will listen and hear the word of God. You'll read the word of God. You'll see it as it is presented in scripture and, and that the Lord would work and help you to understand and work on you. So let me, let me lay a little bit of a foundation before we go into some things. And there again, if you came in late, please, you will not bother me. If you come down and you pick up a handout that's down front, that will not bother me one bit. I did junior high ministry for years. In fact, I did a camp over the summer where I was on the last day and about half the audience was asleep. Now, don't sleep today. I'll call you out on it. But at that camp, it, it, it definitely happened. Holiness is a synonym. It is another word, a Bible word, that we use for withdrawal or, or separation. Holiness is when you are withdrawn from the world, separated from, from the world. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16 says, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. I wanna go on the record and say this on the beginning. Holiness is not just a thing that we do on certain days. Holiness is something that we do every day. Holiness is a part of who we are at all times. I'm not saying this to pinpoint anybody or anything, but it's not a thing that we take off and change certain elements of ourself when we are on vacation or when we go to this place or we go to that place. The Bible is not looking for that. The word of God is not teaching that and God is not looking for that. As ye which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation or lifestyle because it's written, be ye holy for I am holy. The Hebrew word, kadesh, and the Greek word, hanakosun, means withdrawal. That's the word for holiness. Therefore, scholars define holiness as this, to separate or to be apart. We do not merely live to make others look unholy. Our original state of holiness was lost in the fall of man in the garden. We live so that we can withdraw from a man's original state and commune with God. Now I want to put three words up on the screen, Corey, if you don't mind to do this for me. I want to put three words up on the screen. They're more of uh, theological words that get mentioned, but they are justification, sanctification, and glorification. Justification, very briefly, I don't this is not a lesson on these things, but justification is this. It is when by God's plan and your response to it, that you are justified, with him, You are removed from your sins when you repent and are baptized in Jesus' name, filled with His Spirit. You are justified before the eyes of God. You are brought before Him and you are justified. Now, what happens after justification is just as important as justification. It is the process of sanctification. You will, in your life, as you walk with God... You will grow to become more like him. That is his plan. He wants you to be sanctified. That's what that word means. You're going to grow and mature. That's the point of it. So that ultimately you can be glorified. Which means you put off this earthly body and you put on an eternal body and you are glorified with God forever in heaven. But these, this is the process that a person has to go through. They are justified. Then they are sanctified. Then they are glorified. And you don't want to skip out on any of these steps. But particularly, sanctification is the process that I want to talk about today. Let me say this as I begin. Holiness is a journey. It is a process. It is not a list. It is a process of growth. That you grow in your understanding of the Word of God and you conform to His image. That is ultimately holiness. You are separating yourself apart and withdrawing unto Him. Here's what the Bible talks to us about sanctification. This is what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5. This is a great scripture to quote on the process of holiness. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse number 23, 24. And the very God of peace sanctify you. Now, that's not H-O-L-Y, that's W-H-O-L-L-Y, because he wants to sanctify you wholly, all of you, complete. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who will also do it. I want you to notice in the scripture... Go back to verse number 23. I want you to notice in the scripture what needs to be sanctified. If you're in a process of growing and maturing with God, I want you to look on the screen or look in your Bible and you will see what needs to be sanctified. I pray to God, your whole spirit and soul and body. Those are the things that the Lord Wants to sanctify. The Lord wants to mature. He wants to grow. Those are the areas of your life. Those are the things which is, by the way, that's all of you. He wants those areas to mature and be sanctified as they continue to grow in your understanding of God's word. He teaches us holy. That we should be holy like him. Now, most issues of holiness especially ones you see on the screen, and some of y'all probably jumped down the the list and and have ideas to me. Most issues of holiness are not salvation issues. They're obedience issues, which can then become salvation issues. Most areas are not an issue of, well, if I don't do this, then I'm going to go to hell. It's not that. Most issues are obedience issues. It's an opportunity for you to be obedient to the word of God and how his spirit is leading you. And then it becomes a salvation issue. If you rebel against it. And say I'm just not. That's not for me. I don't, I don't want to do that. God gives us areas. Holiness teachers. And areas to show us how to live a life that pleases him. And you'll see this in your notes. It's the Bible. It's spiritual authority. And it's the spirit of God. Now we practice and, and teach and preach from the word of God. And we also have the Spirit of God inside of us to lead us and help us. but And I'm going to talk about this at the very end of the lesson today. We also have a man of God who leads us and who teaches us things. And he may say and teach things that maybe seem like a gray area or an area that's not outlined in Scripture, but he's the man of God that we've submitted ourselves to. And there is... Good biblical support for following after, imitate me as I imitate Christ. There's a good biblical evidence that we should follow after the teachings of a man of God that we have submitted our life underneath. So whether we see it as clear as they see it, there is some biblical precedent for that. And I'm going to talk about that at the end, something I think that we all, all need to learn. The Bible teaches us three kinds of holiness standards to which he expects us to mature as a Christian. Bible standards, church standards, and personal standards. Now, standard the word standards, and I'm going to get into some principles in a second. The word standards over the years has gotten a very bad rap. It's gotten a very bad reputation. And many times when someone would te- get up and teach a standard, they would say, or people would say about them, well, you're legalistic. Or, you are, I can't believe that you would say that or you would throw that out there and you're drawing that line and they would say, that's legalistic, I don't have to do that to serve God. Stand, the word standard's got a bad rap, but here's the reality. Everybody has a standard. Everybody has, thank you. Everybody has one. Every, you're, you, you want me to prove it to you? Thank God you have clothes on right now. You do. So that right there is a barrier, a boundary that you have set, you have clothes on your body right now. If you didn't have that standard, you'd have shown up to church and it would have been pretty awkward. But you set that. So the reality is everybody has a boundary somewhere. Everybody has one. It just depends on where that boundary is set, who sets that boundary, and how fast do you hold to that boundary. That is a standard. That's... That's a line, and, and listen, it's gotten a bad rap over the years. It's not a bad thing to draw a boundary, to say, I don't do this because I don't, want, I don't know maybe where it will lead me, or I don't know where, what's next after that. It's not wrong to do that, and it's certainly not wrong to preach a standard. Can you imagine going to a church that didn't have a standard? That would be very detrimental for your soul. But thank God, according to scripture, that the Bible and the man of God and the word of God and the spirit of God helps us to draw the lines that we need. Now, let me talk to you. Let me give you some principles about holiness, because some people would like a list to be given to them. And and to a degree, the word of God operates in that way. But I think I believe we believe the Bible teaches that holiness is principle driven. You need to grab a hold of the principles of the word of God. And that will help you dictate where's the line that you draw in your own life. Where's the boundaries that get set. So let me give you some principles. Principle number one. And this is on your notes. By the way, there are notes right up here. There's a handout. You will not bother me one bit if you come up here and get one. It doesn't bother me. Don't be embarrassed to do that. Principle number one. Here's what the Bible teaches us. God demands an external witness For our internal holiness. God demands an external witness. For our internal holiness. Matthew 5 and 16 says this. Let your light so shine before men. That you may see your good works. And glorify your father which is in heaven. Now let me explain something. That is very very important to understand about holiness. And even the kingdom of God in general. So let me have your attention on this just for a moment. Sin works from the outside to the inside. Sin happens in front of you. It happens around you. Something will take place around you. You will see it. You will sense it. You will feel it. Whatever it is, sin works from the outside and it makes its way to the inside to where your heart and your mind and your spirit are affected or hope or or their strategy is destroyed, hopeless because of the sin that's on the outside that works its way in. Now the spirit of the living God is the opposite of that. When God fills you with the spirit, his spirit works from the inside and works its way to the outside. That's why when you're filled with his spirit, obviously the first thing that comes out is tongues. But additionally, when you're filled with the Spirit, then there are signs that follow that. There's growth that happens. Because what's happened on the inside of you is demanding a witness on the outside of you. You see character habits change. You see how people talk change. You see how people think and what they do change. You see how people dress and it changes. Because the Spirit of God works from the inside to the outside. And sin works from the outside to the inside. So because of that truth and because it's bored out all through scripture, because of that, we got to realize, we all of us do, that God, the holiness of God that happens on the inside of us, it demands an external response on the outside. It requires that of us. Something is going to change on the outside of you because something has changed on the inside of you. It happens. That's just the truth of the word of God, a principle. Principle number two about holiness and what happens on the outside of us. Now, this is going to sound a little strange to some, but I'm going to show it to you at the very beginning of your Bible. Principle number two, God's plan for covering my body is greater than my plan for covering my body. So let me prove that to you in Scripture. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter number 3, beginning at verse number 1. Genesis 3. Let's, this is such a good reference. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the very first reference to clothing in the Bible. Right here. Genesis 3, verse number 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord of God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said you should not eat of the tree of the garden? Of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree that was in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth not, For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, Then your eyes will be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did did eat, and gave to her husband also with her, and he did eat. Now watch verse number seven. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sowed fig leaves together. And made themselves aprons. They made themselves their article of clothing based on their nakedness and shame. This was their idea of what it ought to look like. And voice number, uh, chapter verse number eight. Excuse me. And they heard the voice of God, Lord God, walking in the garden, in the cool of the day. And Adam said, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. They hid themselves. Because what they did was wrong. They obviously sinned and fell. But, what they, but the shame and the guilt associated with it, they knew they were not properly clothed to present themselves to God. Their ideas were not enough. Now, I want you to look at verse number 21 of this too. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. It's very important when you read the Bible to take notice of words. Because words have origins and they have roots and they have meanings. When Adam and Eve made their own garments, they made what the Bible calls in the King James Version aprons. That's what it says. That is a haggara or a girdle, loin covering, belt, loincloth. When they made themselves their own clothes, it was very much limited In size and scope that it covered. Now, verse 21. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats. They made themselves aprons. God made them a coat. Here's what the Bible says that a coat. A cutanet, which is a tunic with sleeves that comes from the neck to the elbows to the knees. When they made themselves something, it was very limited in space. But when God came and covered the male and the female, he made things to cover up their nakedness and their shame. Nakedness was covered from the beginning by God to defeat the temptation it created. It is associated with sexual impulses, desires, so much so that to see or uncover nakedness is a biblical euphemism for sexual intercourse. Nakedness is moral shame found from Genesis 3 and 7 all the way through Revelation 16 and 15. And since God does not change, His ideas of modesty don't change either. And God's plan for the covering of my body is greater than my plan for the covering of my body. And so holiness and sanctifying and being like him, it affects our body and our outward appearance, covering that and keeping it. So principle number two is God's plan for covering my body is greater than my plan. And we'll talk about some specifics here in a second with principle number three. Principle number three is this, because our of our unique strengths and weaknesses and because, ladies and gentlemen, holiness as I demonstrated to you in scripture, is a lot more about creation than it is the culture for which we live in. It roots back all the way to creation and not to just the culture where we change when culture changes. It's not that. And since holiness is based on creation and how we were made and what we were made to do, and because of our unique strengths and weaknesses as male and female, God's word emphasizes holiness principles different for men and women. It's not that there is a certain attack on men or a certain attack on women. It's not something it is personal because we are made different. And because of creation, God is trying to help us understand there are things specifically to our nature as a male and female that we have to be mindful and guardful of. So, let's read 1 Timothy 2 chapter number chapter number 2 verse number 8 through 10. 1 Timothy 2, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And like men are also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh woman professing godliness, godliness with good works. You can see in Paul's writing to Timothy, what he addresses to the men is different than what he addresses to women. And that's not because there's sexism at play. That's not because there is this attack on one gender or the other gender. It's not that. It's because they are different, and because they are different, and because they were created different, there are different things that apply to the man and the woman. Now, Corey, can you put up the list on the screen? Let me let me show you. According to Second First Timothy chapter number two, here are the areas. That are addressed in the Bible for men. And here's the areas that are addressed in the Bible for women. For men, it is, ap- it is appetite, anger, and apathy. Those are the areas that men are targeting. It does not mean that there's not things that man has to do with, his, with the clothing of his body. It's not that that's excluded. These are just emphasized areas for men. Now women, it's also different according to this. It is adornment and apparel and attitude. Now, again, that doesn't mean that the other issues that affect men don't affect women. It's not that. It's the emphasis is on because of how people were created. I'm going to very briefly try to cover these six areas mentioned on the screen. I'm going to do my best to cover them. Uh, I cannot in the next five to seven minutes cover everything. So, there is great teaching that we have on our YouTube channel. We're obviously happy to answer other questions, but if you'll allow me that liberty, uh, this is a hard subject to teach in 30 to 35 minutes. Men, appetite. The Bible has much to say about our appetites, especially those things that can get out of control, such as lust. They destroy our spiritual life if we're not careful. Lust is not just a wrong sexual appetite, but it is a any type of wrong appetite. First Peter two and eleven says, "Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul." I've heard it said this way: Most men can really struggle with sex, power, or money. And those are lustful appetites that you want, you crave more of, and we're told to abstain from those type of things. 1 Timothy 6 says this, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts. Romans 6 and 12 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. It is only as we yield ourselves to God will we yield desires in us And be able to control the lust that we all possess. The Bible says there's three types of sin in the world. Lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And for men, it's important that our appetites are centered on the things of God and the word of God. And not on the fleshly lust that desire. Second, anger in men. Anger is simply a strong emotion of displeasure arising from a feeling of injury. Anger. Is not sinful in and of itself. It's not. The Bible tells us that we can become angry and it gives us permission to be angry. Ephesians 4 Be ye angry and sin not. It's not that anger is a sin. However, anger is sinful when we explode quick or when the injury causes us is only imagined or when it's disproportioned to the offense that's committed. Or it's directed against the innocent rather than the guilty. When it's prolonged over time and becomes revengeful or bitter, then anger becomes a sin that destroys. Now you remember that works on the outside to destroy what's on the inside. That's an ex- anger is the second emotion at play. It's always the second emotion that plays. You have control over anger. Nobody can make you angry. You have the power to control what you do with your feelings. Men do. You have a power to take a second and control it. And there's many scriptures on it. Number 3 for men is apathy. Men tend to be thinkers and reasoners and feel men tend to be thinkers and reasoners first and feelers second. However, a Christian man's got to realize that their natural tendencies towards logic and skepticism and critical thinking They might serve them well in the business world, but they are not the foundational principles of the word of God. We do not just think through, we should not just think through things, but we've got to operate in a realm of faith. And men tend to want to hold back and wait till there's proof before they do and act and step into something. The Bible says without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and he's a rewarder of them that seek him. Paul addresses apathy in 1 Timothy chapter 2 because men struggle with thinking first and acting second and maybe letting apathy slip in. But men, our responsibility is to act in faith and not wait until we get the proof that we needed. Holiness can feel quite often awkward, but in our culture, God still desires us to be holy. Now, allow me just a moment to spend area on... Can you put the slide back up for men and women? Allow me just a moment to spend a couple of moments on the ladies' side of things as Scripture addresses it. Number one for ladies is adornment. 1 Peter 3, 1-5 through five is a great passage on this topic. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word... They also may live without the word be won by the conversation of their wives. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Whose adorning, let it not be that of outward adorning, of plaiting the hair and wearing of gold, or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God a great Christ, when God calls for a Christian woman in this society is for to be consistent, that the inward part of you and the outward part of you would align and be the same. That's his call, that those things would not be separate, that there wouldn't be necessarily an, an unfettered side to you, but that inwardly and outwardly there would be a consistency about you. Number two, apparel. 1 Timothy 2, we read it a second ago. And likewise, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Here's what's amazing about that word apparel in Scripture. The word apparel, as used by Paul in 1 Timothy 2, 8-10, comes from the Greek word katastol, which means long-flowing garment. This word reflects the same style as garment, that the Greeks called katastola, which is a loose fitting or a flowing garment that covered from the neck to the knees or was long. And here's what's amazing about it. The same word that Paul used for women apparel, the clothing that they put on, is the exact same word that God clothed the woman and man in the Bible in the book of Genesis chapter number 3. They both line up. There's not a change. There is a modesty that is consistent from creation all the way to now. And so the Bible teaches us and shows us that our apparel should line up with our inward man. And that our apparel matters before God. And it also helps men. Number three, attitude. The attitude is an inward feeling expressed by outward behavior. The attitude of some today how much do I have to do to be saved? But the attitude of a Christian is how much should I do to please God? What should I do to serve him? And if you live by an attitude of what do I want to do to please God, not what do I have to do to get by or what do I have to do to check this box, but what do I do to please God, then there you won't have a problem with holiness. The Bible talks about for a lady an attitude of meekness in 1 Peter Chapter number three, an ornament of meek and quiet spirit. The Bible talks about a submitted attitude. Ephesians 5 and 22, wives, submit yourself to your own husband. Submission is listed as a holiness requirement or guideline for women. Not to abide because she's inferior to man, but because it's God's order of creation. It's God's divine plan. Now, I've given you a lot of things and I don't mind to share notes with you. But I want to close with one particular thing that I felt weeks ago to share with you as I, as I wrap this session and this time up. We can talk about a lot of things in holiness. And we can talk about a lot of boundaries. And I tried my best to teach from the word of God and give you something in, in the time period that we have. But I realize too that on this subject and on this topic, there is quite a bit of gray area. There's quite a bit of things that, well, is that really a Bible thing, or do I really need to do that? Um, There's quite a bit of gray area. And because of that gray area, there's always questions that seem to arise when a church leader or somebody gives some guidelines and says, I'd like to draw this standard or line here. I'd like to set this barrier here. And there's always questions about that, and there's can be some frustration as well. But let me, let me help you with the principle that I was taught a long time ago, but I think lines up with the word of God about that. In the book of Exodus, chapter number 19, there is a story where God is up on the mountain. And he's on the mountain, and he calls for Moses, and he gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And he comes, and the people of God are down waiting, and, In the context of the story, they're waiting for them to come. And God says to Moses, the people are not to come up onto this mountain. They do not come up on the mountain. It does not matter who. Only you, Moses, and only Joshua. You only can come up on the mountain. So the the Lord says, look at Exodus chapter number 19, verse number 12. The Lord says, and thou shalt set, this is the Lord to Moses. Thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, take heed to yourselves that ye go not up into the mount, nor touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount will surely be put to death. There shall not be a hand touch it, he shall, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. And whether it be a beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. There's a mountain. God is on that mountain. And the way that God has set this up is that Moses has the instructions. He's going to be given, and he's going to communicate that to the people. They are not to come up on the mountain. So the question is always this. Well, where does the mountain start? Where Where does the mountain start? Is the mountain on this side of that tree, or is it on that side of that tree? Is the mountain on this side of that rock, or is it on the other side of that rock? You know who set where the mountain started? Moses. Because God said, you go down and set a fence up. You go down and set a barrier up. You set that roundabout, and you let the people know this is where the mountain begins. Don't, Don't cross this. This is not because I'm legalistic or I have a bunch of rules. No, I'm protecting you from crossing that barrier because God said that if you come and touch this mountain, you'll die. So it's not Moses being mean. It's not Moses having his own set of rules that's different. No, no, no. God trusted Moses who is shepherding and leading those people to set the boundary of the mountain. Now, there are things that get said. There are things. There are Listen, it's Pastor Gaddy, the other leadership team, there's things, they'll draw a line. The first question a person asks was, why is that there? Why can't you put it on the other side of that? Why does it have to be about this area of a woman's holiness or this area for a man? Why does it have to be about that? Because God has trusted a Moses to tell his people where the mountain starts. And listen, if you have trusted God with your eternal salvation, if you have trusted a man of God with your eternal salvation, if you have put yourself and submitted under that, then then, then you've got to trust the man of God to set where the mountain starts. Some things may not make sense. They may seem harsh. But there's a man of God who has heard from God and who is trying his best to guard and protect and keep. This is where the mountain begins. You just trust me on it. This is where the mountain begins. I'm tr- in, a, in a culture, in a world that is, that is degrading very, very fast, please let me help you by setting the boundary of the mountain right here. And we all need that, ladies and gentlemen. I said it at the very beginning. Everybody has standards. The problem comes when we get told what our standards should be. That's where the issues come. If you will submit yourself and say, God's ways are greater than my ways, then holiness, whether it's internal or it's external, holiness will not be a problem for you. Let's stand together. There's a handout up here. We're going to pray, and we've got a, we'll have got. we meet in the prayer room in a second. There's a handout up here. Please feel free to come get one. Uh, there is a back portion of it that talks about 1 Corinthians 11 and hair. Um, obviously, didn't have enough time to cover that, but Pastor Gatti did a great lesson on a Wednesday night on the subject of the covering of hair and the covering of male and female and what 1 Corinthians 11 teaches. There's 10 principles on the back of that that show And there's also a QR code that you can go straight to that lesson on YouTube and watch it. And it's a great lesson that all of us, all of us would benefit from watching. Let's pray together in Jesus name. Lord, we're so thankful for your goodness and kindness. We're so thankful that you have called us to holiness, that we have the opportunity to be separate from this world and separated unto you from the world and to you. And God, I realize, Lord, that many ways this growth is difficult and hard and it's Difficult to be sanctified, but Lord, we want our whole self, body, mind, soul, spirit. We want all of us to be sanctified before you. We love you, Lord. We want to be like you, Jesus. Lead us and help us to walk in your way and in your will in this day. In Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Thanks for being at 930. We have prayer. it will start here just in a moment. If you didn't get a handout, I've got plenty. You can come get one here at the front. And God bless you, and we'll see you in worship service, the prayer room here in a moment.